Hi, I'm Alan Knox, and thanks for listening to the Lamp and Light Podcast. Psalm 119, verse 105 says, Your word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. This podcast seeks to let the Bible shine into our hearts and minds by hearing the word preached. This first season is a collection of sermons from the early chapters of the book of Psalms that I preached at Crossroad Christian Church in McKinney, Texas. Thanks again for listening, and I hope you enjoy this episode. So I want you to think this morning about what happens to you when you pray. I mean, we tend to focus on what happens around us when we pray. So we typically are praying for God to change some kind of circumstance. If you don't have a job, you're praying that God would give you a job. If, you're, uh, if you are sick, you're praying that God would make you well. But what happens to your inner being when you pray? We're all familiar with the experience of praying. And I think we all at least generally understand that sometimes we see God things, uh, change things in our, in our favor. So we ask God for something and that thing happens and we are grateful to God. And this is, again, a, a mistake that I think we, that we make. When the thing happens, we thank God for answering our prayer. As though if it didn't happen, that would mean that God did not answer our prayer. Uh, I think that's wrong, and I've talked about that on, a, on several occasions. But we know as well that other times things go against what we were hoping for. And sometimes, while I have argued in the past that God always answers prayer, sometimes it appears to us that God is silent. And that's what Psalm 13 is about. It is, it is Again, it's called a Psalm of David, uh, which we're not totally for sure, but typically this is ascribed to David. Uh, at some point in his life, he wrote this song or this bit of poetry to express the feeling that he had that God was silent in his life. In other words, there are circumstances around David, and, and when he prays, uh, God doesn't speak to him. When he prays, God doesn't change things. When he prays, nothing is, is resolved. And so David is struggling with processing a time in his life when it appears as though God has turned away from him. And it teaches us something about how we may experience prayer. Times when we are praying even desperately for something, and yet we see no resolution, we see no, no clear and obvious answer to the prayer, we just sort of stay in that place of limbo, a place of uncertainty. So let's read then Psalm 13. Think about this this morning. How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I take counsel in my soul and have sorrow in my heart all the day? How long shall my enemy be exalted over me? 
Consider and answer me, O Lord my God. Light up my eyes, lest I sleep the sleep of death. Lest my enemies say, I have prevailed over him. Lest my foes rejoice, because I am shaken. But I have trusted in your steadfast love. My heart shall rejoice in your salvation. I will sing to the Lord, because he has dealt bountifully with me. So uh, this psalm, like a lot of the psalms, what is, I think, central to our understanding is the transition that is made by the psalmist from one place to another. How how do you get from, how long, O Lord, will you forget me forever, to, he has dealt bountifully with me? And that's what I want to explore as we look at this psalm. So we begin, number one on the outline, we begin with the question. So this psalm begins with a series of questions from the psalmist to God. Verses one and two, how long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I take counsel in my soul and have sorrow in my heart all the day? How long shall my enemy be exalted over me? Now, it is, again, it is important to understand um, the stakes that are involved here. Because when you read something like, how long will my enemy be exalted over me? I think we tend to think of that more in a Western mindset, maybe within our personal experience of, you know, there's a guy at work who's, who's cheating and, um, and he seems to be promoted when I am being honest and I'm not promoted. That's not what's going on here. This is someone who is seeking to kill David. Some enemy that he has, and we don't know the context, but the most obvious context would be when David is being pursued by King Saul. So before he was king, King Saul tries to kill David, and David has to go on the run living in the wilderness. And you can imagine, I mean, this is a the equivalent of a uh, federal manhunt because Saul is not, it's not just Saul chasing David, it is Saul's army, the army of Israel who is chasing David. And you can imagine, as I think we would all understand, David makes this a matter of prayer repeatedly. And yet, when he gets to one place where he thinks he's safe, then, then Saul shows up and David has to run again and he goes to another place and, and he keeps trying to find some place of safety and he is praying to God to save his life. So what we see in these verses is three things. One, David is in crisis threatened by an enemy, and here's key, David is losing ground. So much so that he's talking about, Lord, if you don't rescue me soon, I'm going to sleep the sleep of death. I'm going to die. David, number two, David is beaten down and discouraged near the point of despair. And number three, David has prayed to God for help, but has not seen any change in his circumstances. So I'm wondering if 
we can relate to that. I know that we typically don't have um, the federal government pursuing us or even one person who's trying to kill us, but we all have circumstances that we feel are overwhelming, whether it's illness or job-related or family issues. Uh, most people go through seasons in their life where they feel completely overwhelmed. And while you're not being physically pursued, it certainly feels as though you're being emotionally pursued. And you feel worn down by it. So I'm wondering if you can relate to what David felt at this moment. So it's not uncommon for God's people to feel this way sometimes. Uh, some of the most holy people in the Bible have gone through times where they had questions about what, why God was not addressing a situation. And I think most obviously in the book of Habakkuk. Habakkuk was one of the minor prophets uh, minor only in the sense that his book is very short. Uh, but in it, he is wrestling with the fact that Israel is doing all of these evil things, and yet God is not punishing his people. Habakkuk 1, verses 2 through 4 says, O Lord, how long shall I cry to you for help, and you will not hear, or cry out to you, Violence, and you will not save. Why do you make me see iniquity, and why do you idly look at wrong? Destruction and violence are before me. Strife and contention arise, so the law is paralyzed, and justice never goes forth. For the wicked surround the righteous, so justice goes forth perverted. Now, I think there are a lot of people who can relate to that kind of feeling, that there are just things that are wrong with the world that God doesn't seem to address. Or even the Lord Jesus Christ himself. In Matthew 27, verse 46, as Jesus was dying on the cross, it says, about the ninth hour, Jesus cried out with a loud voice, saying, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Maybe you've been in a place, maybe even recently, where you have been in such a place of emotional darkness that you've begun to question God. Maybe not the existence of God, but whether or not if something had happened that you weren't aware of, that somehow God had turned his back on you, given up on you. I mean, I've had times in my life where I've been in that sort of place where the weight of whatever was going on in my life was so heavy uh, that, that I just wondered, you know, God, how can you leave a person stuck in this situation? And I know that many of you will have had that feeling as well. And that leads then, so the question, point number one, leads to number two, the petition. So David raises these questions to God, and then he makes this prayer, verses 3 and 4. Consider and answer me, O Lord my God. Light up my eyes, lest I sleep the sleep of death. Lest my enemies say I have prevailed over him. 
lest my foes rejoice because I am forsaken. So the prayer is simply, God, answer me. Consider what I'm saying to you. Answer me. Change these circumstances before I die. This is David's prayer for deliverance, and it represents the Christian's natural response to overwhelming circumstances. When we feel lost and helpless, we cry out to God. But what is important here, I think, is to see this as one prayer in a long line of prayers. I mean, David has already questioned God about hiding his face, which means, in my mind at least, that David has been praying about this and praying about... I mean, this is not the sort of thing where... Uh, the, the bad circumstance happens and then David immediately says, Oh Lord, how long? But this is David having prayed about it and prayed about it. Lord, deliver me. Lord, rescue me. And he sees no change in the circumstances. And finally, his prayer is, God, answer me. So the lesson here is that, well, let's say it this way. Our natural inclination, when we go through some kind of hardship and we pray about it over and over and over again, and we don't see an answer, then we tend to fall into the same questions that David does here. Lord, have you forgotten me? Have you turned away from me? Are you hiding your face from me? And our natural inclination, when we begin to feel that way, is to stop praying. No point in praying. God's not changing this. We get discouraged and we give up. But notice David's response. David doesn't give up. He questions God. He wonders out loud before God if God has turned his face from him but then instead of saying that, well, that's it, I'm walking away, David instead lifts up yet another prayer, pleading with God to answer him. So the lesson here is that when we don't see an answer to our prayers, we keep praying. Listen to what Jesus said in Luke 18, verses 1 through 8. And he told them a parable to the effect that they ought always to pray and not lose heart. He said, A man in a, certain, in a certain city there was a judge who neither feared God nor respected man. And there was a widow in that city who kept coming to him and saying, Give me justice against my adversary. For a while he refused, but afterward he said to himself, Though I neither fear God nor respect man, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will give her justice." so that she will not beat me down by her continual coming. And the Lord said, Hear what the unrighteous judge says. And will not God give justice to his elect 
who cry out to him day and night. Will he delay long over them? I tell you, he will give justice to them speedily. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on earth? Now there is so much in that little parable. Let me make a few comparisons here so that you see the aim of this. First of all, the analogy between the judge and God is that the judge had some power, but God has more. The contrasting image here is of the judge who has no interest in giving the widow justice, but God wants to give his people justice. So that's intended to encourage you. So the, the analogy works sort of like this. Here's this little old lady who comes to the judge and says, you know, my enemy has done something against me. I'm asking you to rule in my favor. The judge says, no, go away. And so she comes back the next day and 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 the next day, and the next day on and on and on. And finally the judge says, I'm going to give her what she asked for, not because I want her to have justice, but because I'm so sick and tired of her coming. Now, that, that doesn't mean that God will answer our prayers if we wear him out, because that's not possible. The, the analogy here is of the fact, if you can take an unjust, unrighteous judge and get your prayers to him, if you, if you can kind of follow that, your pleas to him, answered by just coming over and over again, how much more so if you keep coming to God with your prayers, knowing that God wants to give his people justice, you can have much greater confidence that God will hear you and will do what is right. You say, well, why, you know, why does God do that? Why not just one prayer, one answer? And the key is found in the last verse. When the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on the earth? If you've ever done any kind of form of exercise, I think you can begin to appreciate this because you know, if you, like, say, um, if you watch basketball on television and you see these guys who are able to do, you know, they obviously are naturally gifted in ways that other people aren't, but, but they have trained their skills sometimes over a lifetime. Now, if you were to go back, you know, take Michael Jordan as kind of the classic example of one of the greatest basketball players who has ever lived. If you went back... To, to Michael Johnson at, say, four or five years old, the first time he picked up a basketball, he would not dribble down the lane and fly through the air and slam dunk it. Not just because he wasn't physically big enough, but because he didn't yet possess those skills. And so Jesus is saying, when you pray over and over and over again, and the answer is delayed and delayed and delayed, and then you see the answer. 
your faith grows. And see, that leads us then. I want you to just follow this progression of what happens with David. David questions God, and instead of giving up, he keeps on praying. And then we come to number three, the change of heart that takes place in David. Verses 5 and 6. But I have trusted in your steadfast love. My heart shall rejoice in your salvation. I will sing to the Lord because he has dealt bountifully with me. So as the writer prays, he comes, what comes to mind is not doubt, but faith. So Prayer sometimes is the means that God uses to bring about a change in our circumstances, but sometimes prayer is the means God uses to bring about a change in us. Let's take, for instance, and I think this is a fairly major theme right now in this nation, uh, Christians praying for the nation. Sometimes when we pray for the United States of America, we see God begin to change things. But sometimes that same prayer, as we are praying for our nation, that prayer changes us so that we become strengthened to live in the difficult circumstances of this nation as it is. So the thing that I want to encourage you with today is not to, to, to well, let me say it this way. I think we, we fail at several levels in this way. When we go through hard times, we say, well, I'm not going to question God. Even if we really believe in our hearts, why am I having to keep going through this? Why does this happen over and over again? We should say, we should bring that to God. I mean, our relationship to God is in part built on the belief that He knows everything. And so when you pray, you're not telling Him something that He doesn't know. We never pray and say, God, so-and-so at work is treating me really badly. And God says, oh, I hadn't noticed. Let me take care of that right away. God knows already. But we pray because our relationship to God is an acknowledgement that God is over everything. And when we encounter circumstances where it seems as though God isn't over everything, or at least that God is not interested in what's going on in our lives, it is okay to tell God that. To wonder, God, where, where are you in all this? I'm going through all these hard times and I pray and it feels like my prayers just bounce off the ceiling and come back down. That They're not getting to you somehow. But then you don't you know, give up and get mad. Turn away from God. Instead, you just keep on praying. You keep on praying. There are some great saints throughout history 
who have built their entire lives on prayer. Uh, People like John Wesley, who would pray for years and years and years for someone in his life. If you've ever read any of the books by E.M. Bounds, he was one of those guys who really believed in prayer. But our responsibility is when we don't see the answer, uh, and uh, maybe I should just make this point real quickly. There are times when you will see the answer and it will be no. So, for instance, if you were out of a job and you go to a job interview and you're praying, God, please let me get this, this job. I really like this job. I want this job. Uh, I, I need the money from this job. Lord, please give me favor in this interview and make it go great and let me get this job. And you go through the interview and you don't get the job. Well, that's an answer. God has something else in mind. So that's not, a, that's not proof that God doesn't answer prayer. It's just proof that God doesn't always give you what you want. You remember the old country music song, I thank God for unanswered prayers. There are a lot of things that we pray for that would be terrible for us in the long run. God sees that, and we don't. And so there's an acknowledgement that says, God, if you say no in this circumstance, I understand by faith that you see more than I do. You know more than I do. The thoughts of the Lord are far above our thoughts. And so we trust in Him that the answer no is best for us in the long run within God's plan. So, I'm not talking about that. I'm not talking about when you pray about something that has a time limit on it, and at the end of that time limit, it doesn't go the way you think you wanted it to. That's a no answer. I'm talking about when you're you're praying for something, and it's not resolved. You don't know if the answer is yes. You don't know if the answer is no. You just know that so far, the answer has been not yet. So, you keep praying. You keep praying. You keep praying. There are people in our church who have prayed for the salvation of a loved one for years and years and years. And you don't give up on that. Because all you know so far is that God has said, not yet. You keep going to Him, believing that He has the power to change it, and He wants good things for His people. then finally, you should recognize that when you pray and don't see an answer, whether it's the first time or the 100th time, God is building something in you. I've used this analogy uh, way too many times, but, but it is, I think, my favorite analogy in terms of the progressive nature of what God does in our lives. When, when uh, my two girls were, were little, both of them did gymnastics for you know, a short period of time, never really got that into it, but did it just for fun. And uh, the, the gym that we went to, 
had gymnastics at all levels going on. So on one end of the place, you saw these little bitty kids who their whole thing was, you know, bend over and, you know, just do a little rollover kind of thing. And that was it. And, you know, their, their moms and dads were, oh, you know, that sort of thing. You're like, please, I could do that. And then you go to the other end and you've got these people doing what looks close to what they do at the Olympics. You know, they, they're flying over the bars and they're flipping back. And, and, and you say, man, I cannot do that. I have no idea how they do that. But the amazing thing was, is that because it was all different levels, you could see from one end to the other how each skill level progressed. There were some people who were slightly better than the little kids rolling over, all the way to the folks that were slightly not, they're not doing quite as advanced stuff as the highest level, but they're doing fairly advanced stuff. And you realize those kids started out like these kids. The big kids who were doing the advanced stuff started out at the small level stuff. There was a point in their lives where their big accomplishment was doing a little somersault. And they grew and they grew and they strengthened and they strengthened and their skill level increased until they became advanced. And so what, what I want you to draw from this is when you go through hard times, and, and you will, and when you pray and you just don't see God doing anything, not, not a yes, not a no, not anything definitive, where you, all you have is the ongoing struggle of the circumstance. And we have lots of examples of people uh, in the Old Testament in particular who going through those things, I mean, think for instance of Job, going through those struggles for a long period of time and finally saying, God, it'd be better if you just killed me. At least it'd be over with then. We all can understand that. But instead of giving up, we keep praying, knowing that God is doing something in us as we go through this struggle and keep praying. Our faith is growing. Our understanding of how God works in the world is increasing. The only way that you get to that advanced place of faith is by going through the training of the hard times of your life. So I want you to be encouraged this morning that no matter where you are, maybe you're at a place where uh, there's lots of good things happening, and what you feel overall is a sense of gratitude to God for the many blessings that you're experiencing. And that's wonderful, and you should be grateful. But there will be times, or maybe there already are times in your life, maybe specific circumstances, where it is a very hard thing, and you're discouraged by it, and you're longing for deliverance, and you have prayed, and you have prayed, and you have prayed, sometimes maybe over several years. Receive this morning the teaching of God's Word. That is, keep praying and know that even if the answer is not yet, God is not delaying because 
He thinks it's fun. God is not delaying because He is against you. He is delaying so that He may strengthen your faith. I hope you're encouraged. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Lamp and Light Podcast. If you want to be updated when new episodes are available, make sure you subscribe. And if you enjoyed this episode, please leave us a review so that more people can find this podcast in the future. Thank you.